0: Good morning, everyone. Beautiful fall morning. Excited to be with you. Uh, if, uh, if you don't have an outline, you can grab one in front of you. If you're outside, there's some out there. And if you're at home, I would encourage you, and I would encourage everyone, I think, to uh, download these outlines. Uh, if you've thrown them away. Keep them somewhere in a file folder because as we build on this series of spiritual gifts, there's a lot of information there that you'll need to refer back to uh, as we get into the first of the year and we help you begin to discover your spiritual gifts. We'll also be eventually housing those on our website and you can refer to them. So grab your notes there. Uh, Typically, they've had more on them the last few weeks than normal, but. There's certainly a reason for that. And so, in that context, we are into our third sermon in a four week sermon series called Regifting uh, Given Away What You Have Been Given, Teaching uh, on Spiritual Gifts. And the first week, we taught about what are spiritual gifts. There in your notes, a quick review. And we defined it as a spiritual gift is an ability freely given and enabled by the Spirit of God for the purpose of cultivating connected followers of Christ. And last week, Monty gave us a few categories of how to think about these spiritual gifts. Uh, Three general expressions in your notes as well. Prophetic gifts, which are articulating truth uh, or communication gifts. Then there are priestly gifts, which are applying care or giving compassion, and then kingly gifts, which is exercising leadership and direction. A couple of examples of the prophetic gifts, discernment or distinguishing of spirits, evangelism, exhortation, prophecy, or teaching, and then some examples of the priestly gifts. Giving, giving is actually, Monty talked about this morning, it's actually a gift. It doesn't mean only those give. Uh, But some uh, really have that gift to focus in Uh, Healings, helping, hospitality, and serving are others That would fall under the category of priestly gifts And then kingly gifts, which would be gifts like administration, faith, leadership, and wisdom And so we asked and answered that question the first week What are spiritual gifts? And then last week, Monty did a phenomenal job asking and answering the question why do we have spiritual gifts? What is the purpose behind those? And he gave us four big ideas, or four points, uh, four things we need to know to answer that question. The first one is to display the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, to meet the needs of our community of faith. Three, to build up the body of Christ. And fourth, ultimately, to glorify God. So, what are spiritual gifts? Why do we have spiritual gifts? And this morning, we come to our third question to attempt to ask and answer, and that is how do we use our spiritual gifts? Or let me rephrase it, maybe, let me lay this out a little plainer for us not only how do we use our spiritual gifts, but what posture or attitude or approach or demeanor is essential when we use our spiritual gifts. Or put another way, what must be the heart condition of the believer, of those who use their spiritual gifts so they will use the gift as God intended versus abuse the gifts and therefore show contempt to the gift giver? Look, that's a valid question, and here's why. If we believe what the scriptures tell us about ourselves, that we are born sinners, that we are natural sinners, that we sin as easily as we blink, there's no doubt that we can mess up the spiritual gifts that God gives us in terms of how we use them. Add to that, if we've lived long enough, we've experienced enough of life, our own lives and choices and those of others to experience spiritual gifts done with a heart that's not right. So, we need to focus here to the use of spiritual use of gifts, not their abuse. I think of some everyday examples. God gives us a spouse and we mistreat them. We, we don't see them as the gift that God intended for us. We, we, God gives us money and we use it foolishly. I mean these are look these are these are everyday human things that we've all done where God gives us great gifts and we somehow abuse the gift. God gives us sexual intimacy and we run wild with it. God gives us drugs to heal us and we abuse them to feel good. quote unquote. God gives us relationships and we say peace out on them just like that. God gives us his word, and what we do is twist it to make it say what we want it to say to us. Look, folks, if there's anything true, say, Jeff, you've been a pastor 16 years. What's the truest thing you've ever said from this pulpit of everyday life? It is this, that God gives us great gifts, and you and I as humans have have a strong bent on twisting them and abusing them. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Someone said we can mess up a gift faster than a toddler can mess up an entire room. (laughs) That's fast, especially with my three. So our first option is this kind of worldly abuse. Let me read you a passage of scriptures. Scripture from 1 Corinthians 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4. 17 through 20 that sort of describes the person that abuses the gifts that god gives them 4 17 through 20 paul writes now this i say and testify in the lord that you must no longer walk as gentiles do in the futility of their minds they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. But that is not the way you learn Christ. So what happens is, as believers, when we walk in the ways of our life before Christ, Versus the way we learned in Christ, this is what happens. The use of spiritual gifts get infected, if you would, with this worldly and fleshly disease. And in doing so, it tears down the body of Christ instead of builds up the body of Christ. I've done it. And so have you. So, the second option, and this is the—stay on the first option, sorry— Let me just give you some examples of how this plays out when we use our spiritual gifts according to worldly or fleshly abuse. We use these gifts to control others. We have people with strong rhetorical skills who some churches fast track to leadership or teaching responsibilities just because they have a gift, but they're not mature enough. They're not qualified. We use these gifts, some have used these gifts to gain uh, wealth, to build our brand, to somehow gain personal power. Some of us get our worth and value and significance from how God has spiritually gifted us. Our gift actually can become an idol, something we get worth from. Uh, We there's an exaltation of one gift above another. When that happens, that's unbiblical. Or we feel somehow in a church, and look, I've experienced this with people who have gotten angry because they felt entitled to a certain role in the church, in our church, because of their gifting. Or we sort of take the talent show approach and we want to show off our talents. Preachers and musicians and speakers and singers are particularly vulnerable to this. And we evangelicals tend to look for anyone that has a public visible talent and when, and then we redefine that talent into a spiritual gift no matter if the person is biblically qualified from carrying out that biblical intention of what the gift is supposed to produce. So they are eloquent, yes, but they're unqualified to use that gift at that moment. So are we we together there? That's our first option. It happens in churches. So we need to understand Paul's command in 1st or in Romans, 1st Romans. How about that book? Y'all find that one for me today, all right? In Romans 12, 6, Paul gives us an incredible command. He says, having gifts that differ... According to the grace given to us, let us use them. That's a command. Let us use the gifts that God has given each of us. So if that's a command and we want to obey God's commands, how is it that we can ensure that we will use them well? Our second option speaks of that, the spiritual use of gifts. So let me go down go backwards a little bit in Ephesians 4 and read a passage from you where Paul writes about how the spiritual good use of spiritual gifts are to look like. Starting in verse 11 through 16. Again, Paul writes, "...and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry." Paul paints this picture of what I called our second option in terms of the use of our spiritual gifts. Now, as I read that, I hope that the first thing you noticed in this text is Paul is speaking of here uh, the gifts that are the public speaking gifts or leadership gifts. And the one main thing that teachers of God's word and leaders in the church are to do folks is to create a culture a culture in the church it's not an easy thing to do but it's got to be one of their intentional things they want to do is to create a culture in the church where the gifts of god's people are used well and are used biblically leaders paul's saying here are to model for the rest of the body how to use their gifts to build up the church, to elevate Christ, to elevate that kind of culture. I can guarantee you this. This could be maybe the second most truest thing I've ever said from this pulpit. I can guarantee you that those that the influence or the character of a leader in the church will reproduce itself and those they lead and shepherd and care for. It is guaranteed in any organization. So, here's what we know. The first thing that will take a leader down is what? Pride. And secondly, it is the first thing that will take you down or anyone down. Matter of fact, No matter your role in the church, no matter your giftedness in the church, it is pride that makes us abuse the gifts that God has given us because pride is the root of all sin. John Stott put it this way, the great English theologian and pastor. He said, at every stage of our Christian development, in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, Pride is the greatest enemy, and humility is our greatest friend. So when we think about how do I use the spiritual gifts in such a way as God intended, I believe the first and foremost thing you and I need to understand is our posture. And we have a we need a posture of humility. A posture of humility. I want you to imagine there on that first point, Imagine somebody comes up to you today and gives you a brand new car and you put on Facebook about all the years and all the hard work and all the money you put in the bank over those years to save and buy that new car. <laughs> or you have athletes, incredible genetics, right? Six, nine, 265 pounds, run like a deer, And you say, look at me. When you were just born that way, or scholars who have incredible minds, incredible minds, and they speak about how great and smart they are, and yet no mention of God. We see it all the time. It is our natural bent as Christians to take our gifts Acknowledge our gifts, but never acknowledge the gift giver. God gives us these gifts, and we go, well, look at me. (laughs) I'm building up the old church. Get to work, Neff. See how that works, Neff? Thank you. Neff is so gracious, he would say, no problem. What do you need done? (laughs) So here's what I want to do. Just to this core passage, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It is the classic text in all the Bible of Christ's example of humility. Where Paul exhorts and commands Christ's followers to, if they have any participation in the Spirit. There you go. To what? To do nothing from selfish ambition To what? To in humility count others more important and significant than yourselves. To have the very mind of Christ. And what was the mind of Christ? Paul speaks of in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It is though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by being born in the likeness of men and became obedient to the point of death. Paul writes those words, I believe, to slap us across the face with the awe of God's scandalous kindness to us through the incarnation and shed blood of his son. So that we can say, Look at me, this great gift I have. No, so that in our daily interactions, Which could be said in another way, how we use the spiritual gifts (laughs) are to be marked by that all. There is nothing more offensive to God than pride. Pride lifts our hearts against God and contends for supremacy with him. Pride takes a thousand different forms, maybe ten thousand but only has one end, and that is self-glorification. And when it's self-glorification, it robs God of his legitimate glorification. Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian, says pride is the worst viper that is in the heart of a man. Spurgeon says it is a brainless thing, <laughs> the maddest thing that someone can be prideful and light off. And light of how kind God has been to them and how he has gifted them, been so gracious because the scriptures tell us that everything that God gives us is from what? Or everything that, that we have is from God. So I would say this, nothing builds a church stronger than a posture of humility, starting with its leadership down. And nothing will destroy it quicker than pride and for our purposes today, we could put it this way. If the use of our gifts is not done in a posture of humility, then we might as well or will be done as a church in terms of how God would want us to function and operate. So the first thing we need as we use our gifts is a posture of humility. The second one is our goal, and our goal is unity. Look at You can just glance at Ephesians 4, 13 and 16. In verse 13, it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, verse 16, when each part is working properly, working together, my, uh, my intestines need to be working together with my lungs, right? Like they don't fight each other. And when they do, I become sick. So our goal when we use our gifts is to promote unity in the body, Unity in the church means that the people of God, in all their diversity, different ethnicities, different worldly statuses, different temperaments, different backgrounds and cultures, different economics or salaries, hobbies, likes and dislikes, and the list could go on and on, in all their diversity, are bound together to God. And to one another by the gospel. Unity in the church is not uniformity. Unity in the church is not all of us coming from the same place, looking the same place, thinking the same place about other things outside God and the gospel. Historically, theologians have called it unity in diversity. The body of Christ is meant to function in the same manner as that of a physical body and it can't do that when people in the body are using their spiritual gifts in a worldly and fleshly way. Pride causes self-sufficiency and the diversity of the gifts screams to us that you and I can never be self-sufficient. Why? Because we need the gifts of others. We don't have all of them. So, secondly, our goal is unity. Thirdly, what do we need to use the gifts as God intended? I believe the third thing is our expression, and that is of love. Look at Ephesians 4:15 and 16. In verse 15, Paul says, speaking the truth in love in this context of giving spiritual gifts. In verse 16, Says to make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now we know this from Monty's sermon last week that spiritual gifts are given to us to strengthen the church body. But here's what often happens these spiritual, the gifting of the body or the gifts people in the body are giving can actually divide the church body. This was the exact problem of the Church at Corinth. This is the exact reason Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. Because here's the deal members of that church had elevated those who possessed the more visible gifts over those whose gifts were less visible. They had also believed that certain spiritual gifts were a sign of maturity when there weren't. They also, if you had certain gifts, they said that God must love you more. And as I said above, some of their spiritual gifts were to gain power and prestige and to build their brand over others. So here's the deal: what does Paul do? He knows that's the situation at the church of Corinth. He he knows what's going on there. He knows this church is gifted beyond anything imaginable. With every spiritual gift and lots of it, but there's a problem because it's not been done in love. So here's what Paul does. He writes 1 Corinthians 12, which he lays out the gifts and their functioning in a church. He writes 1 Corinthians 14, which he lays out the gifts and their functioning in a church. And right in between those two chapters, he says, I'm going to make them read chapter 13. I'm going to stick it right in the middle. And chapter 13 is the love chapter. And here's what he writes in that chapter. And I'm reading because it's sort of an earthy description. I'm reading from the message. Follow me here. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. Folks, I've been a rusty gate before. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, And if I have faith that says to a mountaintop, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, Paul says, I am bankrupt without love. You know, Paul, I believe, could write that because before he came to Christ, he was one of the most unloving people on the face of the earth, and it meant nothing to know the Torah and the Old Testament backwards and forward. So I know this. We love to read 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding. I'm a pastor, and I've done a lot of weddings, and everybody wants to read 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm okay with that. That's a good thing because it does define love. But at the end of the day, the context, the biblical context for 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the the chapter of love is the use and abuse of spiritual gifts. Sam Storm in, in his book on spiritual gifts puts it this way. If love for other Christians does not control and shape how you employ your spiritual gift, your gift is worse than worthless, it's dangerous. It matters how we use our spiritual gifts. So not only does our posture need to be one of humility, our goal, one of unity, as we use the spiritual gifts, our expression, one of love, but our need is maturity. Look at verse 12 in Ephesians 4. Paul says equip the saints for the work of ministry. There's a maturing picture there. There's an equipping there. Verse 13, so that the knowledge of the son of God into mature manhood, the knowledge of God, they're growing in maturity, matter of fact. The number one thing how we function as a Christian is to understand who God is. And the clearer we understand who he is and we mature, we can respond to him, trust him, and ultimately our character changes. Verse 15, Paul says, grow up, there's maturity, in every way into him. Paul's simply saying, become like Christ. So in this picture of maturity, that's our need And look, I'm just going to touch on this this week because Monty's going to take a deep dive next week when he asks and answers the question, what do we expect to see in the church when we use our spiritual gifts well? So he's going to go there. But spiritual maturity helps us use our gifts better. That's one of the many reasons why we want to grow spiritually and mature. Put another way. The more spiritually mature I am, the better I use my gifts. Man, it's just so true, isn't it? Just let that sit with you. I, I think back, seminary was so humbling for me, because I I I <laughs> was so stupid. But <laughs> at 32, I man, I was asked to speak around the country and I was doing some things and I strolled in the seminary with about a half strut, like, what up? these little 22- and 23-year-old cats around me. I was 32, like, what up? And look, I just got hammered. It took about three days to realize, you know nothing. You are prideful. You just got slammed by your preaching prof, a C-minus, bro. And he was being kind. I mean, it just went downhill. So... uh, I needed to grow. (laughs) Man, God's so kind, though, because I I don't have that anymore. It's like Moses in the desert in Egypt, 40 years to work that stuff out of him. I'll just add this. The Corinth, church at Corinth, were second to none, as I said, when it came to spiritual gifts. Here's the bottom line. Their problem was immaturity. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 3, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, <laughs> but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I always feel like I just dropped the mic on that one. So, Monty's going to get in that. Our need is maturity. And then, lastly, our response is one of obedience. Look at Ephesians or 4.13. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That speaks someone to grow in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's 10 million steps of obedience. Our natural bent is comfort. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. (laughs) I want to make this as clear as I've ever made anything from this pulpit. We must be willing when God tells us. To do things that are way outside our gifting. Our natural, comfortable gifting. Elizabeth Elliot put it this way. There is something magical. Man, who needs some magic in 2020, right? Jeff's preaching magic from the pulpit. There is something magical and transformational about saying yes to God. Say the word yes. Just say it out loud. I know you can say it. But he says, she says, saying yes to God. When you take his hand, man, it's powerful. You step out of that boat, which is your ordinary, comfortable life. Instead of spending your lifetime living in fear and playing it safe, you boldly walk in obedience. This is the life God has called every one of his followers to. You know, I don't know if there's, that I know of personally, a better example than that of my wife. When Family Life called us 16, 17 years ago and asked us to speak on their family, National Family Life speaker team at the Family Life conferences. And when I told her they had called, she went in a fetal position screaming, No, I want you to listen to her tell her story of what god did in her and now through her
1: so in that process of me discovering like things that i like bring life and like it's a good fit like i was like i'm definitely better fit with one-on-one and small groups not big groups and about that time family life called and invited um jeff and i to be speakers at their weekend to remember marriage conferences which means that I would get up on a stage and for an hour and a half speak to at least anywhere from 300 to 600 women up there by myself. <laughs> and I, I, like I can't even explain the level of terror that put in my heart. And at the same time, I knew that God was asking me to share what he had done in our marriage, um, which is miraculous and good, um, like a but God story. And so I knew he wanted me to do that. And at the same time, like when people talk about public speaking, like they'd rather die, I'm in that category. <laughs> so, like literally for months before I spoke for the first time, I was, I was sick, I would shake, I would cry. I'd tell Jeff, call Dave Stewart, tell him I'm not doing it, you know, like just, just even putting together the material was just this, but yet I knew, I'm like, okay, God, you're asking me to do this, so I'm moving forward. Um, and even, even minutes before I got up on stage the first time, I was in the bathroom like on the john sick as a dog and I was just like this is awful and um, and so I I remember walking up there on the podium and they you know finished the music and all of a sudden it was like this it's gonna make me cry but like this calm just descended on me and I could literally think more clearly than I do in, in real life <laughs> and I was able to just share what God had put on my heart what was in the material and um just like people giving me feedback how god had used it and and i was just like okay lord if you are asking me to do something and i know that when the time comes you are going to meet me there and enable me to do what you've asked me then that is amazing
0: Mm. dang, she's out of town. I texted her last night, and I said, you're going to be on TV tomorrow. She's like, no. you know." Uh, I think I feel emotional because I know the terror, pure terror she was in. But I can tell you this, that one decision to be obedient to God was magical and transformational of my wife she goes on to say in that interview i may think i belong over here and do this or that but god may very well ask me to do exactly what i don't want to do he may ask you to do exactly what you don't want to do so jenna says i needed to adjust my mindset and remember ultimately this is not about me It's about God's furthering his kingdom and he's inviting me to be a part of it to serve people he loves. God's calling all of us to obedience regardless of our gifting. I want to take a few minutes to give some tangible examples. I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I'm 57. I got... Issues. I'm getting old, and part of that is I cried. I got new glasses. Can y'all tell? So they're not slipping down on my face. So y'all make fun of me touching my glasses anymore. But I, I this could this list. We could sit here for now till lunchtime, twelve. It was so long. So I just it was so easy to put together. Just just like that because this church does such a great job of people who tangibly use their gifts. Selena Carlton. Miriam put out a message. We need somebody to wrap presents. Boom, instantly. Let me do that. Can I do that? I would love to do that. Steve Smith. Administration and leadership. Seven weeks ago, I called him. Inside, there was anxiety because there was so much to do to get men's fraternity off to launch it. And time was coming. I wouldn't 15 seconds in. He says, I'm in, bro. Let's do it. Amazing. His capacity is amazing. But his love for the kingdom of God and this church is more so. Holly Stevenson. Gifts of administration and leadership. She just does whatever we ask, whenever we ask, and does it with such great excellence. All that stuff at Deep Roots, she organized it all. Fall fellowship coming up, staff gathering, such a delight to work with. Jason and Jackie Isaac, relatively new to our church. Jason is leading his first community group ever. Took a step of faith there. He's got a great gift of discernment, just discernment of what's what true and what's error concerning God's word. His wife, Jackie, is a leader, administrative gifts on our communication team, just serving so beautifully. And I love Miss Marlo Elmore. Uh, behind the scenes, making coffee literally countless mornings on sunday morning before covid uh took her out of her job (laughs) just glorious smile so happy to be here such a servant spirit go the extra mile all in while her husband's greg has suffered with with difficult medical issues such a delight brett and jordan jordan lannon And Brett's looking at me this morning, like, really, dude? Yeah, I was talking to Carrie Henry about them. They volunteer in the borough, and Jordan teaches four year olds, and Brett is teaching the fourth and fifth grade. Both of them say, I am learning from the kids as I engage them. They said, look, we got three sons. We're relatively young spiritually. We need to serve so we can grow. We got to raise these boys. I love that. And then Brinley. Where's Brinley? She left me. She knew. The Lord said, he's about to talk about you. I got to go. <laughs> yeah, Brinley Gingrich. Just some great things I've heard about her teaching middle school girls, a teaching gift to engage girls with such enthusiasm. And look, there's nothing that will make you tighter than middle school girls. <laughs> I, look, I would have to challenge God's, If he called me to teach middle school girls, I don't know if I could take that response of being obedient. I'd be mean, like, peace out, God. You just got to whoop me. Look, this list could go on and on and on. So here's what's going to happen. Next week, Monty's going to talk about what is a church like when every person knows their gift and is using their gift as God intended them to use them with the right posture, expression of love, unity, obedience, maturity. When all that's happening, folks, the church of the living God is a powerful force in your life, and in the world. And that is what God has called us to be at fellowship. So take a minute this morning and ask the question, so what? And maybe one of those is just, what is the one that I need to work on the most in terms of what it takes to use our spiritual gifts well? This morning, if you would, Lord Jesus, we come to you. We're so thankful that you've saved us and then you gifted us (laughs) to do your work. We serve at your pleasure. Help us to internalize that, help us to see that, help us to, to make decisions in our life, that would give us the chance to serve and use our gifts for the body, the building up of the body of the living God. We're so grateful. Everyone said, Amen.